0: Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can assemble to worship you, the only true God, the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who sustains all that has been created. In you, we live and we move and exist, and we worship you because you're also the God of our salvation who has through Christ, redeemed us and made us your very own. And we thank you that through the Holy Spirit that now indwells us as your people, you have promised to illuminate, to guide, to give us understanding of your word so that we might grow thereby into the fullness and maturity that are found in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, that as we look to your Word today, that you would refresh, renew, convict, instruct, allow us, Lord God, to be drawn into fellowship with you and speak to us your words of life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this sermon, as you can see in your bulletin, God's Master Plan of Salvation. And the reason why I entitled that this way is because that is exactly what it is. It's framing out in these 14 verses God's master plan for salvation of his people. Um, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with today, more than we ever have before, is that the plans of man have been thwarted for many reasons, whether it be through COVID or be through the downsizing of business, or whether it be just uh, the uh, the aspect of us not being able to fulfill what we needed to fulfill in that particular context, and in in that whole scenario, there's been a lot of um, disruption, there has been anxiety, and and there has even been fear in the minds of God's people. And coupled with that is that there seems to be an ever-increasing rise of criminal activity in the U.S. Um, There's been more murders and rapes and assaults in our cities, than ever documented previously. Uh, and it's important for us that indeed people are feeling the desperation of the circumstances in which we're living. And though we're coming out of the COVID scenario, we need to realize that there are indeed predators that are out there that are trying to also use fraud to deceitfully and through chick, uh, trickery and through cheating, intentionally pervert the truth, to to misrepresent the truth, to deceive. Um, For what purpose? So that they can induce us or someone to give away something of value or to surrender their legal rights. And indeed one of those type of fraudulent activities that has come to the forefront of us as uh, citizens of the United States has been in two areas. There has been mail, meaning the mail coming to you, as well as wire fraud. And both of these are felonies. They are federal crimes in the U.S. And what has brought these felonies particularly to the forefront not only in our minds, but on the national news, is the last 2020 presidential election. And it's because there was a huge expansion of mail-in voting, and there were claims of widespread mailing and voting machine fraud. And even today, scammers are exploiting U.S. citizens, through the mail, and through wire fraud. They want to steal assets. They want to ruin credit. They want to rob our identities. And now, the pinnacle of this is the federal elections, the frauding of federal elections. You see, there had been in place master plans to legalize how the mail was supposed to be distributed, how uh, wiring money and banking through transfers was supposed to be carried out. But all of those, through these fraudulent scammers and illegal computer hackers and devious felons, all of this has been imperiled. There's a correlation to this, to these, the reasons why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. Because he writes this letter from a prison in Rome as a pastor. He's concerned about this church, and rightfully so. He had pastored this church earlier himself for nearly three years. And also, his associate Timothy had pastored this church for a year and a half. The spiritual challenges that we are facing now were the same challenges spiritually that Paul and Timothy faced in the church of Ephesus. Because it was indeed a sin cursed commercial, political, and educational city. In Asia Minor, it was under a Roman authority. It was steeped in heathen culture, pagan philosophy, and idolatrous worship. Ephesus was very well known for its corrupt idol worship of Artemis, otherwise known as Diana. And there was a glorious temple erected at that time. It was considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. But more importantly than what was going on in the commercial setting and in the commerce setting and in the educational center of this culture was the fact that even within the church, what had happened was there was false teaching that crept into that church, and it came from within its own ranks. The foundation of gospel truth was being undermined by prominent men in the church who taught erroneous philosophies and ascetic practices like the forbidding of the institution of marriage and the Dieting of certain foods, which was causing damaging doubt and diversely leading these people away from the true gospel of Christ. So when we read this letter, we need to know that this is a church that is having internal problems, problems with people in the church teaching false doctrine that was causing doubt and divergence away from the truth of the gospel. And as Paul gives his greeting here, he wants to remind them of who he is and who they are in Christ. He tells them right out, that indeed he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's by the will of God that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he turns to them and reminds them that they are saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. And it's based on this common yet spiritual relationship that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Paul extends to them the Christian reception or greeting, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul turns his attention and their attention to praise to God. He says, praise to the God and Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ there in verse 3. And it helps to lift them up, if you will, to get their focus on who God is and what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Isn't it true that sometimes when we're going through times like these that we need to refocus our attention on who God is and what Christ has done for us? This is a pastoral plea, if you will, from Paul to these believers. See, refocus on who God is and what God has done for you in Christ. And then he goes to unpack what God has done for them in Christ in verse 3 where he says, "In in every way, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. This is important for us to realize that when God comes to bless us in Christ, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. There's nothing withheld. There's nothing being held back. He has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing. We know that God is the giver of all good things, that indeed he blesses us with food, clothing, shelter, a healthy mind and body. And we get caught up with those blessings and give thanks to God for those blessings. But we need to remember that they're only temporary for this life. They're transient blessings that God gives to us, but we should never be seeking them or holding on to them like that's the goal. That's all there is, that we're to find our significance and our security and our satisfaction in those things. No. We need to remember that they're just temporary blessings. The real blessings, the lasting blessings, are those spiritual blessings that he has alluded to there in verse 3. They're the spiritual blessings God has given to us in Christ that will never cease. They will never be consumed. They are spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, in Christ. So that when we measure up what the material blessings that God gives to us here on earth, to those spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly realm, there is really no comparison. Yes, both of these blessings do indeed come from God, and yet believers in Christ are to know right now, that they are experiencing spiritual blessings both for now and for all eternity. Well, what are those spiritual blessings that Paul is alluding to here? Well, I think he unfolds them in verses 4 through verse 14 of this chapter. In verses 4 through 6 he tells us very clearly that God the Father chose us. God the Father chose us to be with him. Isn't that wonderful? When you think about that just for a a minute and realize that the God of all creation the God who uh, holds all things together by the very word of his power, the God of love and of mercy and of kindness and of righteousness and truth, he chose you. Well, the big question is, why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? He chose us in his love. He chose us for the purpose of his will and good pleasure. The reason why we read the Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 10, is it similarly shows us how God chooses for his own will and for his own pleasure and because of his own love. Remember, Moses says God didn't choose you because you were great and mighty or you had some assets that, that indeed made you better than all the other peoples of the world. That's not why God chose you. God chose you because he chose to love you. He chose to love you. That's why he chose you. throughout the whole Old Testament, we see God choosing people for his own purpose, his own will, and out of his own love. Think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Think of others that were led up, right up to the development of Israel as a nation. And think about how he chose his own son to be the redeemer of those whom he's chosen. When did it happen? Well, the Scriptures make it very clear here. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That phrase gives the idea that it was before creation was ever Made before the cosmos was made by God, He chose us before time, before before space, before all things, from all eternity, God loved and chose you for Himself. God's choice, as we can see in this passage, is eternal. It is purposeful. It is personal, but it's also absolute. Well, how did he choose us? He chose us in Christ. He chose us before the foundation world, but he chose us in Christ. It was God's purpose to do it this way. The chosen of God are to be chosen in Christ. And what that does, it excludes all sense of merit whatsoever. Well, to what end did God choose you and me before the foundation of the world, to be in Christ. To what end? I think he brings it up here in verses 4 and 5, that we be holy and blameless before him. And notice, he also says, in love he predetermined that we would be adopted as sons and daughters of his. It's just as Paul writes there in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, where he says, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice the purpose or what's behind this choosing that God has done before the foundation of the world that we should be in Christ is for the purpose that we be holy and blameless before him. We must never think, beloved, that we are chosen of God unless that is coming about in our lives. Holy, blameless, before God, do not say that you are God's and think that you can go on living with a sinful habit. It is impossible. Habitual sin has been overcome at the cross. And God, because he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, has put in us a want to, to live for God, to please him in love and in gratitude for what he has done for us. And it's all because of his love and grace in Christ. The second thing I wanted you to see here, and it's very important, is what is the reason or the the outcome of this great work that God has done for us. It's so that we, as the chosen of God, might live to the praise of the glory of his grace, verse 6, and that we might be blessed in the beloved one, the Lord Jesus. These are the ultimate reasons why God the Father has chosen you and chosen me to be in Christ. Well, we're running out of time. The second point that he really wants us to understand about these spiritual blessings comes in a threefold way in verses 7 through 10. And these spiritual blessings are central to why God has chosen us to be in Christ. He tells us in verse 7 that in him, in Christ, the beloved one, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, all according to the riches of his grace, God's grace, which he has lavished upon us. There are two things I want you to see here. One, that we have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. Redemption always carries with it the idea of a ransom being paid, and it's a ransom being paid for those who are enslaved by sin so that we might be set free, liberated, delivered from sin's bondage. And Paul tells us very clearly that the ransom price came at the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ. That his life's blood being shed on the cross as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins was the only ransom that would be acceptable to God. Jesus talks about this himself. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, where he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul talks about this in a little different sense, in that, indeed, he talks about the sacrifice of Christ delivering us from the bondage of our sin. The second thing that he mentions here that we need to realize is this: that he has forgiven us of all our trans- all of our transpasses, trespasses. This ransom price that Jesus Christ paid with His own blood has fully satisfied the justice of God. And because God has been fully satisfied, he is able to fully justify us who come to Christ by faith. You see, he makes it very clear, the forgiveness of our trespasses, all of our sins are forgiven, the past, the present, and the future. And those sins still at times assail us sin's penalty and its power are overcome by the blood of the Lamb that was shed for us. And it's all because or in accord with the riches of His grace, which He has lavished on us. But there's a third point he brings out here in verses 8 through uh, 9 and 10, where he says very clearly, that indeed, this was part of the mystery, a mystery of his will. And this wisdom and insight has been made known of this mystery of his will, and it's in accord with his own good pleasure. Because he tells us that it was this mystery of his will that he has allowed to come to our minds and our hearts is for the purpose of an administration that he has set up that is suitable so that at the fullness of time, everything would be summing up to Christ, to Christ's glory. Things that are in heaven, and things that are on earth. This mystery of His will, which He purposed to reveal to us in and through His Son, is the very purpose in which God, the praise and glory of God, will be given for all eternity from his people. I'm always reminded of that old hymn. Uh, It's found in our hymnals on page 283. It's called Redeemed. It says, Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. Notice the end. His child and forever I am that all is because of Christ, His redemption, God's forgiveness through His shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And finally, third point, we are told that God the Holy Spirit seals us until that day of redemption when we go into eternity with God. In Christ We, as believers, have been given by by God a divine inheritance. It's predetermined. It's part of God's purpose. He is working all this out after the counsel of his own will. And it is so that we who hope in Christ might live to the praise of his glory. It's by God's grace through the work of the Holy Spirit, who energizes us with spiritual power to obtain that inheritance that we have in Christ. But there's more to it than that. Because the Holy Spirit, we read, God has given us the Holy Spirit to seal us and for the Holy Spirit of promise to be a pledge to us of this inheritance. In Christ, all believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. They are all given the same pledge. It is by the Spirit of God that every believer has a guarantor, a preserver, an authoritative marker, if you will, that their eternal salvation in Christ is assured. You see, one of the things that Paul was dealing with with these believers in the first century is something that we can take home today. Because just as doubts and fears and even being steered away from the truth of the gospel, we need to know that God chose us, each one of us in Christ, that he chose his son to be born, to live as a man a perfect life so that he might redeem us with a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And he chose the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to seal us, to give us this pledge, this promise, this guarantee of our eternal inheritance that we have in Christ. These are the blessings, the spiritual blessings uh, in the heavenlies in Christ. This is God's great master plan of salvation. Let me ask you, do you believe it's true? If you do, have you received Jesus Christ as your Redeemer to know that it's true? And are you living by faith in the power of the indwelling Spirit who has been given to seal us and as a pledge of our inheritance. Are we living it out to the praise of God's glory? May God give us grace to embrace His eternal plan, a plan that not only starts from all eternity, but for all eternity in Christ and to all eternity through the Holy Spirit who has sealed us until that day of redemption. Amen.